Listen, I want to talk to you today about the potential power of patience. Do you know why this, all of that happened, that man? Because he was impatient like every other man who wanted to do one thing in one go, okay? How much can I carry to minimize the amount of trips I have to take, okay? And any fathers, any men, okay, in the house that will just want to do one trip and they'll load everything up from the bottom of the stir- Okay, that's all of us in the room, okay? Impatience is going to get you in the end, okay? And all of us are impatient. Don't lie to me up in the house. You absolutely are, okay? What about the slow driver in front of you? My kids are now learning to drive, okay? I'm sitting there praying as they're driving, and a row of cars are now developing behind them, okay? I'm now the person that's in the... Sm- what about the, when you come to take a seat at the restaurant, all right? And the people who come in after you get served before you. Anyone? That's, that's a favorite. Amazon? Hey, next day, not, not, not next day, not going to work out next day, okay? You are losing the will to live, okay? All of us are impatient. But what about the bigger ticket items, everybody? What about the big things that you have really believed with all of your heart you've heard God speak on, and you are waiting, and you are waiting, and you are waiting, okay? I've, I've got together a little potential for impatience list, okay? Now, you may have more to go on this list, but here's a few of the things that I have that perhaps God has spoken to you about and you are waiting and waiting and waiting. Number one is this, a partner. So whether you're single or widowed or divorced, you believe God has spoken to you about someone new and perfect for you. Secondly, a pay rise that some of you in the room, you believe God is going to come through with some kind of financial breakthrough. Then there's a payback. Some of you are waiting for a payback. Anyone ever been betrayed or offended or annoyed? waiting for justice to be done in your name, okay? And you know, and you got to believe when you're holding on for God's going to work it out for you. Some of you are waiting for a plaster. You're trusting God for a positive outcome for an illness, whatever it is. Or maybe it is a pathway. All the letter P, have you noticed? A pathway. You are looking for a way forward from where you are, and you believe you've heard God speak to you in some of these things. And there could be others, of course, that you are waiting on God for. In the original biblical Greek, okay, the word for patience in the Bible is hypomone. Hypomone, okay, you're loving my Greek, all right? Hypomone, let me break it apart. Hypo means under, okay? Mone means to remain or abide. So when you take these two and you squish them together, in the Bible, patience means to live under. It does not mean to exist under. It does not mean to just about make it under. It doesn't mean fake it until I make it under, but it means to live under. And we're going to see how God will help us to do that in a little minute. But it is really hard to thrive and to live, okay, when you're going through life, when you are waiting for a partner or a pay rise or a payback or a plaster or a pathway, living and thriving and trying to walk through in victory and all of that stuff, as exciting as it is, as holy sounding as it is, can seem really, really difficult. Proverbs 13 verse 12, a familiar verse to many of us, hope deferred makes the heart, and we all know what that means. We all wake up every day wondering, is this the day? 
Is this the day the breakthrough comes? Is this the day the plaster comes? Is this the day I will meet the partner? Is this the day financial breakthrough? Direct, is this the day? No, didn't happen today. Tomorrow will be the day. Tomorrow isn't the day. Is this the day, the next day? No, and no, and on it goes, and on it goes. And for some of you in this room, and some of you watching and listening online, it seems like you've been waiting forever. You know what God has said, and if anything, your life looks nothing like the conditions it would take for the promise to come to pass. And some of us, we are, and I've done this. This is how I know. Some of us will feel like we're manufacturing faith. We're hoping that if we smile enough, if we're stoic enough, if we're holy enough and we, we look the part enough, God will relent and release the promise before it's due. We're putting on performance faith and even for some of us today, we could be even discouraged enough to walk away. Well, I thought I heard God. God doesn't come through. God, it wasn't God at all. He's not going to come. It's not going to break through. He won't do it. Some of you are maybe ready to walk away. Some of you even were ready to downgrade your faith from active to reactive. We don't have an active faith. We have a reactive faith. In other words, so when God moves, I will move. When God, will you go first, God, and then I'll, I'll just wait around. Some of you are ready to be tapped out. So what I want us to do for the rest of our time today is I, I want to look at the source of our impatience. I want to explore a little bit about what happens when we try to be God. Never a good thing, okay? And then what happens when we decide to be patient? Because what I want us to show is I mean, I'm not showing you anything really new today, but I feel there's some people in the room who need to be encouraged about the potential power of patience. Okay, so let me start with this. Let me look at the potential pain of impatience. Because there's pain in impatience. Anyone impatient in the room, we've all decided, we're all impatient about something. Isn't that right? Peter Marshall was, was a preacher in Glasgow years ago, and he said this, Teach us, O Lord, the disciplines of patience, for to wait is often harder than to work. Isn't it true? I hate waiting. Do you, I don't like waiting on anything at all. And I think as this world goes on, and the more instant fix, instant everything, waiting is becoming harder and harder and harder. I think humanity is becoming less resilient. Isn't it to kind of wait and to hold on, to persevere? It's a real challenge to persevere. And Peter Marshall has nailed it because waiting is often harder than working. And if you're anything like me, I want to get involved. I want to kind of take over. I want to work at it. I want to bring about the promise on my own. Anyone? Anyone ever tried to bring about God's promises in your timing and in your way? Oh, well, all the best with that, okay. And the truth is, everybody like you, I have promises I am waiting on. I can get impatient, but I want to share with you a verse in Ecclesiastes that I'd never seen before, and it actually became the genesis for this talk. Actually, it really shook me up. And Solomon's writing in chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, and it says this, The ending of a matter is better than the beginning, and watch this, and patience is better than pride. Who knew? Who knew that the ending of a matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride? I never thought that impatience and pride could be linked. But they are. And what I'm discovering is, everybody, that pride is the foundation 
of impatience. When you and I set out to bring about a promise, God has made us. And we try to bring that about in our own time, in our own strength, in our own manner, in our own ways. What we are doing is that we're acknowledging that our ways are higher than His ways, that our thoughts are higher than His thoughts, that we are higher than God. And everybody, we know what that is. That is absolute pride. And who wants to tell me what comes after pride? An absolute fall. In, uh, in 1 Samuel, in, in the first few chapters, we read about the, the birth of Samuel, how he becomes this phenomenal prophet and this judge, the last of, of the judges, if you like. And, and then it comes along to chapters 9 and 10, and, and the children of Israel, they want a king because everybody else has a king. Saul is anointed as king. And in chapter 10, verse 8, we learn about Samuel and Saul. They have this conversation about what's going to mean to be a king and how he's going to anoint him. And Samuel gives Saul some instructions what to do and to wait on him and all of that stuff. And it says in verse, let me read it to you. It says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. Samuel's talking to Saul. I will surely come down to you, sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But what I need you to do, uh, Saul... I need you to wait a week. I want you to wait seven days until I come to you, and then I will tell you what to do. We've never had a king before. Saul was just an ordinary bloke. He's never been king before. Wouldn't you want the man of God to come along and tell you what to do and how to be king? You absolutely would, okay? Just one, just one thing you'd want to do, you'd want to wait for God to come and tell you what to do. And God, through Sam, I want you to wait a week. I want you to wait seven days. But by the time we all get to chapter 13, and if you want to read in your own time, verses 7 through 10, we discover that Saul doesn't wait a week. He nearly waits. He's almost there. He just gets to the last, and then he blows it. He puts on the stuff, all the garb of the priest, puts on the robes, the hat, whatever, and he starts making the sacrifices himself. He, be he becomes a priest himself with devastating consequences for him. Samuel rocks up, all right? And so in verses 11 through 14, Samuel and Saul go at it. And so Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul replied, well, I saw that the Philistines were coming. The men were scattering and you didn't come. And everybody was here. And I thought, well, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I've not sought the Lord's favor. I've not prayed enough. And watch this. So I felt compelled. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel, ever gentle, ever diplomatic, does not mince his words. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God give you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Imagine the difference that would have made. Where would we place David? But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him. I think that's interesting. David had no idea he was appointed. You can be appointed before you even know it. And he's appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. There are so many factors, everybody, leading to Saul's actions. But believe me here, behind them all, behind all of the actions is this pride. This willingness not to trust God 
because he's never been king before and he wants to do things his own way. Pride has become the foundation of his impatience and Saul has discovered that when pride is the foundation of your impatience, okay, your house will fall because pride always comes before a fall. Here's what happens through these little texts, these verses. When we take over from God, first thing what happens we do is we rationalize our reasons for taking over. We make excuses. Saul said, I felt compelled. I felt compelled. The Philistines were coming. Our guys were scattering. You were late, Samuel. You weren't here. And then it's like us. Things are getting worse. I'm getting older. Everyone else's life looks better than mine. God was too slow. He wasn't answering my prayers. This is what we do. We rationalize all our decisions, even though we know deep down God has said it. And over the course of time, He still encourages you about it. But then you just have to go and take over. Then what happens is we create this relational distance between us and God. God doesn't leave us, everyone, but anytime we make a decision that we know is contrary to what God's will for us and what He's revealed to us, we take a spiritual step away from the Father. Adam and Eve, for example, they were, went into hiding. God was still in the garden, but they were hiding after all. They created that relational distance. The next thing that happens is that we dilute our future legacy. Samuel says, your kingdom won't endure. It won't last. Your legacy is diluted. You see, when we step in, and for whatever reason, let's just say it's revenge or justice or whatever, and we get our own revenge, or we marry someone without our values because we're impatient, and then our, our future is affected too. I look at the life of Abraham, everybody. God was still faithful to him, but we have Ishmael and we have Isaac. And Ishmael was born out of the promise. Isaac was the child of the promise. But how many people know today that Ishmael is the ancestor to the Arabs? Isaac is the ancestor to the Jews. And even to this day, we have conflict in the Middle East. And the future legacy has been diluted. And then finally, we have this weakening of relationships with those that are closest to us. Verse 15 of 1 Samuel 13 begins with these incredible words, and they're painful words. It says, then Samuel left. He just left the whole show. He left. He left Gilgal. And the relationship, everyone, was never the same between him and Saul. And let me tell you here that when the people you know and the people you trust and are pivotal in your life and they have a history with you, they have legs with you of giving you phenomenal advice and counsel, when those people get ignored often enough, over time the nature of that relationship will weaken. What's the point of seeking you out for advice when we just ignore it anyway? Or we try and ask enough people so we find the right person that agrees with us and then we'll take that advice. Ever do that? I mean, we do. But who are the people that will tell you no? Who are the people that will tell you wait? They're the people you need in your life. They're the people that watch your backside and your blind side and every other side when you are rushing through. So this is what happens when we let impatience take over to us. Now, I believe this. God is, God is an incredible, incredible God. He will redeem all of these things for us. But hey, why, why learn the hard way? 
Why learn the hard way? Why get involved in our impatience? Why let pride take over? So, what do we do then when we are going to decide today that we're no longer going to be impatient, that we are going to trust God no matter what? We believe what He said. We're secure in what He said. So we're going to trust God. What do we do? We do this. We work or wait. W-A-I-T. We work or wait. Okay? This is the key. We don't sit and wait. We work our way. Are you ready to work? The first thing I want you to do when you are working your way is this. Number one, I want you to remind God of the promises He made you. It is perfectly legal and perfectly biblical for you and I to remind God of all the promises He's made you. God has not forgotten, but there's plenty of biblical precedent when you are in a tight spot that you can biblically and legally remind God of the promises He made you. One of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible is found in 2 Chronicles 20, okay? And I want to read to you verse 6 to 12. Jehoshaphat is king. Three armies have come against him. They are about to surround the town. He calls the whole nation to Jerusalem. The leader of this great nation gets up in front of all of the people and he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. So far, so good. Verse 7, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He's reminding God of what God has done. They have lived in it, verse 8, and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And then a phenomenal line, a phenomenal line. Listen to this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that awesome? Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do, but he knew where to look. And so here he is in a tight spot. And what does he do? He gathers the nation together and he reminds God of the promises God made them. In verse 7, our God, did you not drive them out? Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land? And did you not give this place to us forever? How are these rabble-rousers, these people, these Ammonites and Mount Seers and all these lads, how are they now here? Come on, we need you to fight. And then verse 11, he says, see, they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you give us, not them. You give it to us as our inheritance. I need you to stop moping around 
oh, I don't know what the Lord is doing. I don't, don't want to go to church. I'm not even going to tune in because he just doesn't hear me, doesn't answer me. <laughs> I hate my life and nobody loves me. I'm not going to pray anymore. I don't read my Bible or nothing. I don't do anything. I don't need words for the day. Nothing at all. I hate it. Get on a hill, get on a boat, get on a car, get on your knees, whatever you got to do. And begin to declare to the Lord, back to Him, every single promise He's made you. Whether it's a promise He's made to all mankind or promises made just to you, but begin to declare back and repeat to God. And when you repeat to God, you remind yourself of everything God has said about you, God has said about your marriage, God has said about your kids, God has said about your future, your job, your plaster, your payback, your pay, whatever it is. Get on your knees and stop moaning and start praying and start worshiping and believing God all over again. Spiritual puts it this way. He says, I like to plunge, I love Spurgeon, my hand into the promises. And then he says, then I find myself able to grasp with a grip of determination the mighty faithfulness of God. And he says, an impotent plea with God is, do as thou hast said. And I want to encourage you, this idea, this posture of prayer and remembrance is reaching into the Word of God, grabbing hold of those promises, pulling out a faith of determination, and saying to God, Lord, will you do everything you have promised? And even as a church, Open Arms Church, i got to just encourage you. It's always good to remind God, Lord, will you do in this church everything you've promised this house? Will you do over our communities everything you've promised? Would you do over our nation everything you have promised? Maybe this is a season we got to be reminding God instead of huffing and puffing at culture, huffing and puffing at how bad things are and how awful things are getting. They're not any different than any other time. God is still God. God is still able. And the promises are still true in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. The second thing that I want you to do is this. Understand that time waiting is not time wasted. Come on, that's a really good line. I thought of that by myself. Time waiting is not time wasted. I heard a preacher say this recently. He says, Jesus waited 30 years to minister for three years to save humanity in three hours. As he hung on the cross between the sixth and the ninth hour, bearing all of our sin and all of our shame so we would not have to. He waited 30 years to minister for three years in order to save humanity in three hours. Why? Well, Luke 2.52 tells us, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus, listen to me here, was no less God at 30 years old than he was at 30 minutes old. But he had to grow and he had to mature and he had to develop. Even Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, had to wait. But God the Father knows that time waiting is never time wasted. And in the end, for you, time waiting, this is important why we work on our wait, we got to understand this time, time waiting is not time wasted because God is working all the time while you're waiting. Mostly, though, He's working on you. 
silence. Mm, he's working on you, and here is why. Because God is interested more in your character than your calling. He's interested more than who you are becoming than where you are going. Because every minute you're in is the destination. The journey is the destination. Today, I've arrived. Tomorrow, I'll arrive again. We're, 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 we're just we're trying to wait for something to happen, but today is when it happens. And it seems to me, everybody, that the minute God gives someone a revelation about their future, chaos comes to their world. And what the chaos does, it creates a season of life that looks nothing like the life God has just promised. Am I making sense? I think of Joseph. Oh, I got big dreams. Oh, all my family's going to bow down to me. Look at my coat. Woohoo! No pennies for me. I'm a Brian and Thomas sort of guy. That's just it. Oh, for you. maybe I, I have an idea. Let me go and share my thoughts with my brothers. Pit, Potiphar, prison. But could you imagine Joseph at 19 trying to solve the starvation crisis of the world? He hadn't the what? He might have had the calling, but he hadn't got the character. Chaos has a way of creating a situation that looks nothing like the promise. Can you imagine on the Midianites on that little truck in the back all chained up? It doesn't look much like the promise. Nobody's bound down to me here. I think of David, anointed by Samuel as well. He goes off to Goliath. Fee, fi, fo, fum, Going into the old court, giving all of that there, fantastic, I'm going to be anointed king. Mm, this is my way into the court, I can see myself, giant killer, people love me, now I'm in the palace, this is the next step. Next step, the throne for me. What's that behind my ear? It's a spear. It's Saul's spear. Out the door you go, and you're on the run for 12 years. Chaos. This looks nothing like the life I was promised. I'm stuck in a cave with three or 400 people nobody else likes, and they're all following me. This doesn't look like the promise. Chaos has a way of creating the situation that God needs to put you into to reveal the future. I think of Moses. D.L. Moody writes this about Moses. He says, Moses spent 40 years. He was thinking he was somebody. 40 years learning he was nobody. And then 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Oh, you, your name can mean to draw out. Oh, I'm going to draw out people from this nation in Jesus' name. <gasps> Woo! Chaos comes along into the desert of Midian, the backside of the field, whatever. This looks nothing. I'm drawing nothing out here. I'm not even drawing water out here. There's nothing. I think of my honeymoon. And of all the things I could be thinking about on my honeymoon... I had a dream one evening, okay, that I, and I can recall it yet. It was a dream of God, uh, uh, preaching. I was preaching in front of loads of people, and I thought, yeah, <laughs> all I needed was to get married. This is it, preaching, here I come. Yet in five years, I was an estate agent and had quadruplets. <laughs> there was nothing about that. I was preaching to four people. That was it. There was my crowd. Eat that, eat that, eat that, eat that. <laughs> Chaos. Life looks nothing like the revelation. But what a season for Moses and for David and for Abraham and for Brian to learn to grow, to trust, to refine, to pray, to hope, to serve, to love others, to learn priorities. Come on, and it doesn't, I gotta tell you something, it just keeps going this. I did a wee chart. Let me put the wee chart up there. Can you put the wee chart up? Look at that, I made that. Okay, here's what happens. We get the calling. 
Then chaos comes. Canva. Okay, canva.com. Chaos comes along. Creates the environment to develop your character. Great character flows into your competency. And you move on at the, at, the, at the breadth of your competency. You go to a new level. New level. Do you like the arrow? New level. Then it starts again because you have a new calling at a new level. How many people know there's a new devil at every level? Oh, there's a new calling. More chaos. Just bigger. Okay. You're praying for a new building in this church. Okay, here we go. Character again. Competency. We're getting bigger and better. Up we go. New calling at a new level. Glory to God. Can I get an amen? Come on. How many people are you are in this room? Come on. How many of us are waiting on God to come through on a promise? I want to encourage you. Chances are the world that you're living in, the life that you're living, looks nothing like the kind of life you need for the promise to happen. Am I right? I'm absolutely, come on, but I want to encourage you. Time waiting is never time wasted. Paul writes to Romans in chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. He's not only so, he says, but we glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces hope. And hope, love this, does not put us to shame. Come on, you need to hear that today. Hope does not put you to shame. So keep hoping it won't be wasted. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Can you imagine the moment Joseph's brothers in front of this big Pharaoh-looking fella, not knowing it was Joseph, and they'd sent him off, and Joseph reveals the whole show. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, we don't know what God's doing in you because we don't know what he wants to work through you. This is what we do know. He wants to work through you, so allow him to work in you. He is shaping you. He is molding you. He is melting you. I hate all this. He is refining you. But time waiting is never time wasted in God. Even Billy Joel gets it in his song, Vienna. He writes this lyric, slow down, you're doing fine. You can't be everything you want to be before your time. Even the world gets it. And Isaiah writes this in chapter 49, verse 4. He said, I've labored in vain. I spent all my strength for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Isn't that incredible? Come on, let's stand. I have one more thing to say to you, but I want to say it over, to, over you and to you. Adam, you want to come back up, big guy? So we're working our way at everybody. We are, we're making a decision today. We're not going to be impatient. We're not going to give in to pride. We are going to remind God of the promises that he has made us. Let's do that this week. We think God will be unhappy with us when we do that. We're shouting back at, we don't have to shout back at him. Not in an angry way. You're going to remind God, Father, you said. Lord, I've it written in this diary, and it's, it's, my goodness, it's 2005, it's 2012, it's 1988. And you still have it, and every Bible you've ever bought, you, you go straight to that verse, and you highlight it all new, and you put a date at it. 
Lord, you said. You remind, remind God. And then we understand this, that time waiting is not time wasted, that God is moving and always in the wings. And then, finally, it's this, number three. This is, this is the secret sauce, and I want you to, I know we're standing, but I want you to get this. It's so crucial for you to do. And it says, start living now. Start living now. Do you know what got Joseph noticed by Potiphar? What got him noticed by the prison jailer? What got him noticed by Pharaoh, the palace butler, all these people? What got him noticed was the way he lived his life for God while he waited on the promises of God. He didn't half and he didn't part. Life wasn't over. He wasn't going to wait around and, well, when the promise comes, then I'll move in faith. When the promise comes, then I'll be happy. When the promise comes, then I will do whatever. Do you know what? Even though his life, and his life looked nothing like the promise. It looked nothing like it at all. We've established that. But in the meantime, Joseph deployed integrity anyway. He ran from sexual temptation and ran towards purity. He deployed integrity. He was integrous regardless. He wasn't waiting for better conditions and then was righteous. He was righteous in hard times. Joseph kept the faith anyway. He allowed this limitless faith of his inner world to prevail over the limited focus of his outer world. He had no idea how God was going to shift this or make this happen or transform Egypt of all places. Remember the dream, everybody. The dream was that his family would bow to him. But he's in Egypt and they are not. How could that possibly happen? That could never happen in his mind. But there was something in Joseph allowed himself to dare to believe that God was able to fulfill what he said would come. And then finally, Joseph released grace anyway. Imagine being in the prison for something you didn't do. You're not in a given mood. These boys have dreams. You have a gift of dream interpretation, but they can go and get stuffed. Because I'm in here for something I didn't do. So I'm going to huff and pout and huff and I'm going to sit here. I'm going to wait till it's my day and then, and then maybe I'll see, open a dream interpretation shop. We'll see how it goes. Put something on Instagram. No, 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 no. He used his gift in the prison anyway. In a place of restraint, in a place of limitation, a, a, way, a world away from what he knew he carried. He decided, you know what? Here's a couple of guys. They need help. I'm going to release the grace of my gift over their life anyway. So it's time for you and me to stop waiting on the promise before we start living. Listen to me here. If that's all you remember today, it's in the living that the promise comes to pass. It's as you live every day with integrity and with faith and with grace, as you serve and you pray and you give and you love, even though it's difficult. This is how we can live under with patience. It's meant to live under, not exist. You can live under while you wait. If we believe God and we trust God, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Stop waiting. Love others while you wait. Shine your light while you wait. Sow your gift like Joseph while you wait. Build your marriage while you wait. Love on your kids while you wait. Pray while you wait. 
give like while you wait. Worship while you wait. Because the day is coming and the day is coming when you will not expect it. You're giving it all away anyway. That you will hear a rattle of a key and a lock. A call will come, a text will arrive, a, a something will, you'll get something through the meal. And a door will open up for you and you will step into the next level of what God's called you to do. And the promise will happen and you will thank God. Proverbs 3, 3 to 6, 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. How many people know these verses? Come on, somebody. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Paul writes, finally, my last verse, Galatians 6, verse 9. Come on, let us not become weary in doing good. I declare this over you. I prophesy over all of you today. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. If we do not give up. 